Hello and welcome to the BTOC podcast, today being hosted by me, Neil Trevino. On today's episode, I am delighted to be chatting with high-performance coach Sandra Weber, who's done many things over her career and throughout her private life, from working in the beauty industry to operating as a senior finance figure for tech giant firm Hewlett Packard. She's also gone from not being able to swim to completing an Ironman triathlon. Sandra has spent most of her working life helping people unlock their potential and become high achievers and high performers across many different industries and roles. A published author of soon to be two inspiring books, Sandra really does know what it takes to reach your potential and doesn't hold back when emphasising that it takes hard work and a high level of commitment. Today she's taken some time out of her busy schedule to talk to us about what it takes to be a high achiever and how you can start that journey. Do you have what it takes? Let's find out. So, Sandra, thank you ever so much for joining us today. It's an absolute honour to be uh, on the phone with you this time, actually. Um, about to interview you and share some ideas around high performance. Um, I've got a coffee ready. I've got a, got a feeling this is going to be a good podcast. So thank you ever so much for joining us. Pleasure to talk to you. Pretty, it's not sort of face-to-face as we're used to, but, you know, we're all adapting. <laughs> Okay, so let's jump straight in then. The, the listeners have kind of heard a bit of intro about you, um, but I think it'd be useful just to understand f- from you um, about how you've come to do what you do and what it is you do do. Okay, well, I've had a bit of a varied career journey, um, and this is quite useful for those people who think you need to decide your career as soon as you leave school and that's what you're stuck with, because I certainly didn't do that. I actually started off in the beauty industry um, as a beauty therapist and I I must admit that's dropped off my CV now Um, but quickly it became apparent that that wasn't going to be the career for me so um, got myself a temp admin job that ended up leading into a 17-year career in corporate life uh, working for Hewlett-Packard who were setting up a big factory in Bristol. Um, This is a long time ago, back in the 80s. I qualified there as an accountant um, because I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to be a finance leader. So that's what I did in the end. Um, Did a few years um, at the top being a leader at Hewlett-Packard. And then in the year 2000, I very bravely left the corporate world, not knowing what I was going to do, but resulted in setting up Qdos, the company that I co-run now, uh, training and development company and I spend majority of my time doing executive coaching now so that's it in, in a nutshell brilliant and, and I think that just goes to highlight doesn't it that I think very few people nowadays pick a career you know from a very young age and and stick to that one track if you know what I mean and, and follow it all the way through to the end you know um, sometimes you and there's still a place for that don't get me wrong you know the veterinary industry for example some people have got a real burning desire to be a vet they go to vet school, they qualify, and then that's their core sorted for life. And, and I admire that. And um, from a personal point of view, you know, being a police officer for me was, was that thing. Um, but actually, as time goes on, I think it's more acceptable in society now that, that you, you jump around a little bit. And um, I think yeah. I think people tend not to stick to one career anymore. And I think it's fascinating because I think it, it really does open your mind and makes you a more rounded person to a certain degree. Well, there used to be a saying, I don't know whether you've heard this, but, you know, about 10, 15 years ago, there used to be the saying, there are three careers in us all. That's changed to five now. 
So apparently really? there are five careers in us all. And, and I'm certainly, you know, I'm certainly living proof of that. And I, I often get people coming to me like sometimes in their like 20s or 30s worrying that it's too late to change tact, even within a company, you know, to change departments or something like that. But absolutely it's not because of this whole concept of, you know, we're all quite versatile and we can all change direction at any point in time. Mm. And I think it keeps life interesting as well. And I think um, I think some of the most interesting people I've met have done a variety of things. Mm. And some of the, the, the most interesting people I've met still don't know what they want to do, which is just you know, yeah. a testament to the theory we've just spoken about. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what age you are. You know, I, you know, I, you know, the people I work with range from like 22 to 62. And I even had a lady the other day who was an ex-pilot um, and didn't want to retire. But at the age of 60, wanted to know what to do next. Really fascinating stuff. Really mm. fascinating stuff. So a lot of the work that you do is with high performers so you've mentioned a minute yeah. ago that you work with a lot of executives and businesses who typically are put into those trusted um um driving positions of organizations because they are high performers mm-hmm. um and you've worked with many different high performers in many different fields and the bulk of this conversation is focused on actually what, what is it, what is high performance and what does it take to be a high performer so i guess my my opening question really to, to set us off on the course of direction is to ask um you know, what traits do you see in people that operate at, the, at that kind of peak of their performance and, and what makes a high performer for you? OK, it's interesting because it's not it's not one thing. It's like a, a cocktail of things which either either shines through when you uh, first meet a person or more often or not, you know, it comes from having had a series of meetings or a series of interactions where these people show either that they are a high performer already and you can see that they've got some of these behaviours and some of the attitudes that we're probably going to talk about. Or you can see that somebody has got the potential and the willingness to develop in this way. Um, so I think the first thing I notice about somebody, or probably two things, is their attitude and the level of self-awareness that these people have. Okay. And what, what is it about that, though? What, what is it about their attitude and their self-awareness that, that you notice? Is it you notice that the, they take accountability for, for what it is they want and they go after? Just be interested yeah, to know your definitely. thoughts. Is that, yeah. is that one thing that you see? Yeah, definitely it's that um, accountability for their their own development, their mm-hmm. own um, – and that's – when I'm talking about development, when I work with people, I'm always talking about their professional life and their personal life. I always intertwine the two, which I think surprises some people, is that I'll, you know, I'll always ask about their well-being as well as professionally what they're doing. So I think the attitude I see with these high performers is that they work on both of those elements of their life. They want you know, professional excellence, but they also look after themselves personally type thing. And it's that attitude of um, wanting to be the best and continual improvement no matter what stage they are at their career 
it's that attitude of personal development and personal growth is they they still want to improve mm. that's really interesting you say that and i've i've noticed a bit of a, a step or change in the change in the wind if you like in relation to that and, and i see it playing in my role in that i think the distinction between who you are at home and yep. who you are in your own private life and the person you turn up you know who turns up to work i think as we move forward in time and as you know workplaces develop and evolve more and are more accommodating and more trying to really help people be the best they can be i think that distinction between the two is getting more and more dilute and what i mean by that is i think you know more of the home people are showing up to work and i think or well, my question around that really is do you think that that helps someone perform better in a work environment if they feel comfortable being themselves as opposed to playing well, a part okay. of something that you know that they they are yeah. expected to be it's really funny you should say that because the call I had before this was my, with my eldest son, Jack, who unfortunately in the current situation we find ourselves in um, has just been made redundant, um, you know, completely out of the blue, big job in London, sales job type thing. And he's going through a series of online interviews at the moment. And he just rang me before, the, before this call saying he's beginning to have like a filter in himself where he's now just being him. He would not. He's not pretending to be somewhere else, someone else, because he feels that the cultural fit has got to be in a company. He's got to be working in a company where he can be the real him and not trying to be something he's not. So I completely agree with what you're saying there, and I think that's also something about a high performer is that they are authentic and they're real. Mm. Whenever you meet a high performer, you get the same person because they're not pretending to be something they're not they haven't like you just said they haven't got their work head on they've got their real personality it's shining through and that is that's one of their usps that's what makes them authentic is that you know they're just real Mm. that's really interesting but what is it you think that that empowers someone to do that and what empowers a high performer to turn up in, in a work environment and also in their own private life and really be themselves what what things help them to do that Okay, so I think that links into the second point was the self-awareness. Mm. You know, when I meet somebody who is performing at this level, they've, they've normally done a fair bit of work or if they haven't done a fair bit of work and they're, you know, younger in their career, they're, they're wanting to do this piece of work about this self-awareness piece. Is that, you know, you know, you know and I know is that even when we're working in this training and development space, you know, there are things that I'm good at, there are things that you're good at and the things that we're not good at. And it, the realness comes into knowing your strengths and capitalising them on them and, and, you know, and actually being proud of those, but also knowing the things that, you know, you're not good at, you know, hand on heart. You know, I did. I went into accountancy. How on earth I passed my accountancy exams, I really do not know because my maths is appalling. But I luckily was very good at passing exams. But if I didn't want to be a pure accountant because I knew I didn't have the mathematical brain that somebody who's really, really good at finance does, Mm. that I only used it as a stepping stone to leadership. So I think something that my mentor told me, you know, know, I I learned from a mentor very early in life was, you know, always hire people better than you. Always surround yourself by people better than you because they're good at the things you're not good at. And it's been okay asking for help and and working with those people 
to plug those gaps. Mm. Don't pretend to be good at something you're not good at. Again, that's a really interesting point. And I talk, talk a lot about this when I when I talk to people about leadership. Um, and I think there's a perception sometimes out there that to be, you know, a high performer means you know it all and you're a, you're yeah. a subject matter expert in everything to do with leadership. Um, and actually, if you really do believe that, I think that puts an enormous amount of pressure on you to, mm. to perform at an unrealistic level. And I think yeah. if you can shift your mindset around that to think, right, okay, what, what, is, what does high performance look like? What does a good leadership look like? Whatever it is. And I think you're absolutely right. It's about recognizing the areas that perhaps aren't your areas of strength and really empowering mm. those people who are better than you in those areas to, to be great. And I think people thank you for that. And um, I think for some people, that's a, that's a difficult mindset shift because it, it's almost threatening a little bit to think that someone's better than you at something. You're right. And a lot, a lot of the work I do with people, especially leaders, is some people struggle to let go, you know, and this can be in the form of delegation and empowering others because of that feeling that as a leader or as an individual contributor, you know, you have to do everything yourself. And I think some of the best leaders I've worked with and worked for are those people that do empower others and also, you know, give people the credit. You know, if you're in a, if you're, you know, you have to go to a business meeting and, you know, you didn't do a piece of work, somebody in your team did. It's, you know, being that real person and say, well, you know, I've got to thank so-and-so for doing this because they've done the groundwork on this. I'm just presenting it mm. type thing. So it's having that confidence that you don't have to be an expert and do everything yourself. Mm. And, but just find people who can do it. And this is where the relationship building comes in because all high performers are excellent at building relationships. Mm. I know we're going to come on to talk about that in just a second. And yeah, it's um, so much of what you're saying is resonating with me. And, you know, we both work in the performance, performance development space. And, you know, we probably both give different pieces of advice to people. And some of it's probably conflicting just because of the, the source of information we've both been exposed to over our careers. Mm-hmm. And, but, but what you are saying, I think there's a real consistency here. And I think it's around that word accountability. This is what I'm getting here through this yeah. conversation. And, I think, um, yeah. you, you know, your first book is called Own It. And I think it's called Own It for a Reason. And I think it's <laughs> yeah. about taking responsibility and, and thinking, right, if I, if I want to be a high performer, if I want to achieve these great things, that can only happen if I take personal responsibility for making it happen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sometimes, and this, this, this puts a lot of pressure on leaders, a lot of people tend to think it's, you know, their manager's job. Or it's their it's the organisation's job to create yeah. opportunities or to develop them, and you know what I try to do is encourage and you know nobody's going to do this apart from you. Mm. You know everybody's busy, everybody's got loads of things on their to do list, and everybody's you know you know needs to look after a load of different people. If you want to become a high performer, then you've got to commit to doing that, and it's not easy and that's the one thing i also like to mention about this high performers can make it look easy but it's not there's a lot of work that goes on to develop the toolkit that you need and that and that owning it and actually working on that for many many years um is part of that i think you're absolutely right i i think one of the other things we maybe not flushed out in this little bit and we'll 
we'll push on in a second because I know there's some other great topics yes. you want to talk about is we talk about high performance but both you and I might have differing views on what high performance is where do, where does that yeah. benchmark come from then for, for you know for you and for I we both got ideas of what that is what what drives that and how do we, how do we establish what high performance looks like okay I mean I suppose what I've done um is look at like you, I suppose the first question you asked me is what do I mean by high performance is, you know, to me, it's when I've worked with these people, what do I see them doing? And, and what I see them doing is having the right attitude, having the self-awareness, having the energy levels, but ultimately they get results. Mm. It's, you know, there's no point in having all that if you're not delivering on what you're getting paid to do. Mm. So, it's, get, it's being reliable and, and over-delivering. I mean, you know, one, of, one of the traits is to um, always, you know, exceed stakeholder expectation. So high performers always do that. They always over-deliver. They always impress. They strive for excellence. So it's that balance of being, you know, a great person to work with, having a good attitude. Everybody wants to work with you because of your relationship skills. Your high energy but you also get stuff done. Mm-hmm. You're reliable and you get stuff done to a high quality. It's, it's seeing people being able to do all of that puts you in that, you know, what that top, you know, 10% of performance. Really thought-provoking. Okay. And that's my view. When you, when you say where I get it mm. from, I suppose, I'm saying, where did I get it from? I didn't realise at the time... But in my corporate life, when I worked for Hewlett Packard, I was brought up in that culture. And I've got a lot to thank them for, for that, which I now know, is that that was almost instilled in us, all these traits. And now when I'm out working with a a myriad of loads of different people, I recognise it's that few people have that cocktail nailed. Mm. But like you say, your, your experience has driven that, hasn't it, with Hewlett-Packard? You know, you've been held to account, you've been pushed, you've been, you know, the, the, the stretch has been there for you. And, you know, I think the more you can expose yourself to that kind of environment, I think you, you really do capitalise on it. And I know I experienced it as a police officer, the, the, the okay. high levels that were expected of when you, no matter what incident you went to, no matter what member of the public you came into contact with, the expectation was you'd deliver an outstanding level of service and you'd do everything you can right to protect the victim or to you know restore disorder or save somebody's life whatever it is there's this overwhelming expectation and that really pushes you on those days that you're tired and you've you've had nothing to eat you know there's something in there that just keeps you moving forward and keeps you striving to to do that and i think you're right i think it's it's about the environment that you're operating in and i think a big part of that and i know you you talk about this in your in your second book um is around role modeling um which is kind of what i want to touch on next really because i find it fascinating okay um what, why is role modeling important to you as a high performance coach and and what what are the benefits of, of doing it and what is it okay for, for role modeling for me is um living and breathing day in day out all these habits and traits that you know we've touched on um so far and I suppose why I'm passionate about this, especially when I'm working with leaders or want to be leaders, is that if you're not role modeling all these things, all these behaviors, you know, 
self-awareness, attitude, high energy, reliability, commitment to results. How can you hold people accountable for doing that, you know, in your team? Mm. You know, the worst thing a leader is for some, you know, to want people to behave like this when day in, day out, they're not doing that. And people can see that they're not doing it. I mean, the classic, I mean, it's a little bit of a bugbear of me, is, you know, delivering on your action items in meetings. One of the things that, you know, when I'm running workshops or, or coaching people is, you know, you really need to role model any, any action that you take at a meeting, you deliver on in the time frame that you said you'd deliver on it. Um, and... You do that so that if you're running a meeting or you're asking people why they haven't done their actions, they can't throw back at you saying, well, you haven't done yours. Or, you know, how can you say turn up to a meeting on time when you're always late? Mm. To my mind, the role modeling is you, you know, is demonstrating the expectations that you want in other people by living and breathing it yourself. Mm. And again, I guess that comes down to holding yourself accountable for doing that as well. And if, if you're not delivering on that, yeah. it's being honest with yourself and, and learning and quickly moving on. Yeah. And, and this is where I, it links back to that owning your own um, responsibility. I had, I had a really um, interesting call the other day from um, a young girl who works, works in, a, in an IT um, company who is struggling with um, a new role that she's got. It's a fairly small company and she, she only got the role three weeks before we went into lockdown okay. so she and she she was struggling because you know there wasn't any induction she was landing the role and and then, and and she she realized and her words to me was i know i am not delivering in my role and i am not performing how i should be you know two months into the role how i'm getting away with it i don't know because i know if I was that manager, I would have called me out on not having done delivered anything. Mm. And so she was holding herself accountable for the fact that she hadn't had an induction plan. She hadn't created her own induction plan. And she was asking for help to do that. So she didn't wait for somebody to you know, tell her off for not mm. doing it. She knew she wasn't meeting the standards that she was setting for herself, and she took ownership for getting help to to do that. Yeah. I know. Recently, I shared something with you called the accountability ladder, didn't I? And oh, I love and, that. Yeah, and part I love of it. that is a very simple diagram. And and for anybody listening to this, I'm happy to share it. It's it's a great illustration of of what it is you're talking about there, Sandra. In terms of you, you either operate below the ladder or or above it. And if you're above it, it's those. Um, there's accountable behaviors that you're demonstrating and funnily enough, one of them is own it. The other ones are, um, you know, taking ownership and admitting what's going on, acknowledging reality and doing something about it rather than, you know, when you operate below the ladder, it's a case of waiting, hoping, you know, to a certain degrees yeah. of their victim well, behaviors and stuff happens to you. And that's what's well, really funny. So I'm looking at that now, actually, and I'm thinking of this lady that, that actually did, she was, you know, she, she'd she gone to a meeting and she had excuses of, there you, you go. know, yeah. oh, well, we've gone into lockdown. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, I'm, you know. And, and he, she felt herself, this was her being real to herself and her self-awareness. She thought, oh, these are, these are really lame excuses type thing. So, and then she sort of waited in hope a bit, the next step on the ladder, uh, you know, waited in hope, or maybe, 
maybe you're somebody who'll tell me how what to do or maybe somebody who you know and and what she said is in 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 the normal world she would have probably shouted across the desk and asked for help and asked you know what should I do you know I don't even know what I'm doing but she couldn't do that because we're in lockdown and we're all working at home so she waited but eventually she stepped into the other bit the accountable behavior in your ladder acknowledge reality and thought you know what no one's going to help me here I'm going to get some help. So she went on Google, found me on Google, went to her HR manager and asked whether she could have some money to work with the coach. And now she sorted it. I had a message from her this morning. She's on it now. She's got her own induction plan. She's, she's great. great example. Great example. Yeah. But she used that ladder that you, you showed me the other day. And that was brilliant. Mm. It's quite a powerful thing, isn't it? Role modeling. And I think in, in the first place, before you do that, I think one of the things you have to do though is you have to, you have to understand what, what type of person you want to be and what it is you're striving to do and then in a way it leads on quite nicely to the next topic which is about you know surrounding yourself with the right people because sometimes it can be quite hard to know what you're striving for and as soon as I think you see it in other people I think all of a sudden it becomes quite clear and you can see what type of things those people do how they talk how they take accountability how they continually deliver And I think sometimes that's real fuel and it, it, it certainly is for me. You know, I see people and I try and surround myself with people that, that give me that energy and give me that bit of inspiration in terms of actually, do you know what? I want to be like them. I want to operate like them. And for me, that's absolutely. Huge. I always that's encourage that. people to do that. Yeah. Because when you're right, when, you know, you've got to find a role that you want to model and, what I'll always ask people is, first of all, when, when, we, get to, when we get to talk about, OK, say, say professionally will be a question of, you know, OK, where do you want to go? Where, where do you see yourself in, you know, yeah. the next year or the next, you know, five years or something? I will then always say to people, right, OK, who is the best possible example of what good looks like in that profession? Or who do you strive to be like? Who is the best in the industry? You know, and, and sometimes people will give me a name and sometimes people will have no clue. And that's where the homework starts, to my mind, about is, OK, if we don't know the best person in your industry doing that, we need to find them. And sometimes that may not be in this country. It may not be on our doorstep. It may not be in the company that we work for. We may have to look wider and it may take a while. But. You know, those people are out there. You just need to find them. And that's when you start doing exactly what you just said is, okay. so what is that person doing? You know, how do they do their presentations? How do they handle meetings? You know, how do they do their appraisals? How do they do all this leadership stuff? Or how do they just operate in general Mm. terms? And I think this links back to what you're saying earlier is that this isn't easy, right? You can't you can't just become a high performer in the space of two weeks and go right and go from zero to hero. No. And it could take you, it could take you a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, however long it is, depending on what your goal is. Yeah. And it's the graft, isn't it? It's the, I need to find someone. And that might take yes. you a number of months to do that, to really find out who it is you want. And from, from what I'm picking up here, Sandra, again, from your insight, which is just brilliant, is that, you know, you've got to be accountable so far. You've, you've got to surround yourself with the right people, which we'll come to in a second. But you need to know what good looks yeah. like for you. And it's not just work, is it? It's, it's your private life. And I know we've spoke, you spoke about this at the start. Yeah. And I think I'm a big advocate of if you're happy in your home life, you're happy in work. And, it, and that harmony comes from getting the balance right in both. And um, 
mm-hmm. you know, for me, role modeling is a big part of that. And I could share, you know, certain people that I really do aspire to be like, and for very different reasons as well. And there's certain people that perhaps don't demonstrate all of what I want to be, but just parts of it. And there's yeah. other people that demonstrate those, those moral values that I really want to have in my life. And I think that exploration stage, it takes time, it takes effort. Um, but I think it's absolutely worth it once you can nail down who those people are. Absolutely. And also when, you know, often when, you know, when I'm coaching people um, in all different companies and everything, some people are struggling because maybe their leader at that current time isn't role modeling the beha- the right behavior as they would like it. And they say, oh, well, I can't do that because my-. I said, well, OK, let's let's just learn from how people do things. And some things, like you just said, some people, you know, do things that you think, oh, I don't want to do it like that. So that's a learning in itself. What, so we want to learn from the people that we don't want to be like, as well as the people that we do want to be like. And also you're right in saying that, you know, the very few people we will come across that demonstrates the the whole thing. And you need to create your own you get the occasional example where you think oh my goodness they're doing everything right but they're few and far between so it's picking and choosing and creating the model that you mm. want i have been told a number of times that i am quite unique but i'm not entirely sure this is what someone was alluding to um, <laughs> um but no you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and it, it is fascinating um and it kind of moved- wanted to talk about when we were talking about you know how can we maximize our time together today and it's about surrounding yourself with the right people. Now, I think that there's a methodology yeah. to this, isn't there? And there's there's some thought that, again, that needs to go into this. And I think it is closely linked with what we've just talked about, modeling. But I'd be really interested to know your views on that. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean in that first book that you alluded to, I, um, a bit controversially, categorised people into three camps to do with the weather. You know, your dark storms, your cloudy people and your rays of sunshine. Um, some people like that, some people don't. I mean, in my definition, your your um, dark storms are your people at the bottom of that accountability ladder that we referred to. They're your they're mm. your victims. They're your you know blame somebody else. The um, it's not my problem. It's somebody else's type thing. And they can they can zap your energy. In one organisation I I worked in, they called the mood hoovers. They like sucked the life out of you or drains is another. There's loads of different words out, but they are people that um, pull you down rather than build you up so those are the people that if you want to go on this high performance journey um, is that we need to minimize the amount of time that we spend um, because they're sort of they're not going to build us up and and help us to that extent now that's difficult if um, just by some things out of your control um, like your family you know and I can speak from personal experience on that you know so certainly some of the elder generation in my family are a bit like that so I've had to manage my boundaries um, on people like that um, and then there's the other people which the majority of people are the cloudy people where you know some days are good some days are bad um, bit, bit inconsistent never know you can probably relate to these people you never know what mood you're going to find them in and if you catch them on a good day, brilliant. But if you catch them on a bad day, not mm. so good type thing. And we can all do that. You know, even, you know, those people who, you know, who strive to be high performers, we can have our dark storm days or our victim days, our cloudy periods. Um, and then ultimately the rays of sunshine. And those are those people that um, 
every time you meet them or or 95 percent of the time because you know everybody has a bad day 95 percent of the time um they're high energy they're positive they're doing a load of stuff they're, they're multifaceted in their life um and they they're just good to be around you know and you know even in the most challenging situations these rays of sunshine are solution orientated and yeah we'll find our way out of this so we need to surround ourselves by as many rays of sunshine as we possibly can if you want to go on this high performance mm. journey. And when, when I first meet people, I say, right, OK, you know that old thing about, you know, it's a bit like the careers thing, but um, we become the five people we spend the most time with. And I'll always remember what one, one guy I, I worked with a few years ago. I said, right, OK, go away for the next month and, and jot down who you're spending the most time with and then come back with, you know, who are the five, five people you spend the most time with? And he came back and he said, I am really <laughs> depressed. He said, it's no wonder I'm feeling rubbish. He said, I have got no rays of sunshine. No rays of sunshine. So then after a laugh, we were thinking, right, we're on a mission here. We need to get rays mm-hmm. of sunshine into your mm-hmm. life. So it's a bit like the role models. We have to go and find them. And they are out there. And once you find a couple of a ray of sunshine, you'll find a host of others because rays of sunshine are clever enough to know they need other rays of sunshine to keep them of like course. that. I'm sat here smiling because I can absolutely categorise. And you shouldn't categorise people, so to speak. But who those, who those mood hoovers are that I come into contact with and who those ray of sunshines yes. are. And- I have to admit, the amount of times you know, we all wake up sometimes yeah. in the morning and don't feel ourselves, and we're not portraying oh. that person that we want to Absolutely. be. And when you come into contact with, uh, you know, the, the sunshine people that you just spoke about, that it is incredible how that can influence you and, and change your mindset. So actually, do you know what? I, oh. I'm reminding myself here that I want to be this person that I want to be, and I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of that. But I do think it's difficult. Well, you know, when, you know, when it came to lockdown, the lockdown, I put like a list. I, I did two lists of um, people that I needed to keep in contact with, you know, virtually, obviously, throughout, you know, when I thought, oh, my goodness, we're not going to go into the office and we're not going to run into people. And one of it obviously was my client list and people I need. To, but the others mm. were my rays of sunshine. And well, Neil, you were on my list. That's keeping in contact with those people. Of I'm rays not sure of I was sunshine. on your list before I invited you to yeah. the podcast, but uh, that's pretty <laughs> But but that's how important it is. It's strategically, you know, having like, OK, those are the people that it's really good to connect with, because I know even if I'm having a bad day, you know, I'll feel better yeah. after connecting with those. People. I completely concur with you there. And um, again, I can reflect on so many different conversations with people that I've had that have really, really shifted my mindset to make me feel better about myself, which I think is really, really, really key. Mm. Um, I just kind of want to kind of start to slowly consolidate some of the stuff we've been talking about really because it's been it has yep. been really insightful really fascinating and i've resonated with so much uh, of the of the information that you've given what i'm really keen to try and do and give our listeners here at bristol water specifically is some kind of takeaways if you like because i think it's great to talk about this mm-hmm. stuff but is there anything are there any practical tips that you can give people that they can start working on now to really start their own journey to high performance okay Right, I have got some. Um, the first one is um, anybody who works with me knows I have this real real thing about having a plan on a page. So whether it's like a leader with a group of people or, or personally. So this is personally. I would encourage anybody, everybody to take some time out 
and start formulating their own plan on a page for their own personal goals, which includes well-being and everything outside of work and professional goals. And it's up to you what time frame you look at. I mean, I personally can't, you know, do this for more than 18 months mm. to two years ahead of yourself. Some people do it. The, the most somebody's ever done it was 25 year plan. Somebody gave me once, which is a little bit, you know, random and extreme. But just start putting your plan on a page with what you want to do professionally and personally over, say, three months, six months, 12, 18 months, however far you want to go. OK. That was number one. Good advice. Do you want me, yeah, I go for the, it. Shall yeah. I raffle them off, these takeaways? Take okay. The next is, is like um, a self-awareness piece that we've mentioned, is do a little bit of a SWOT analysis on yourself. Just, you know, look at what are your strengths, um, what are your weaknesses. What opportunities have you got, you know, professionally and personally staring in, your, in the face now? And, and actually, ironically, even in, the, in this weird world we're in now, a lot of people are calling it, you know, we're, on, we're all on the pause button. We actually have got some time to take stock about how we can use this time um, usefully on, on this, uh, this development stuff. And then threats, you know, OK, again, you know, my son's a classic example of this. He had a big threat. He was in the wrong industry when it all happened, you know, but that has turned now into an opportunity is maybe he'll, he'll find a job that, you know, he likes better as a result of redundancy type thing. So do a bit of a SWOT analysis okay. on yourself and then act on the findings. And this is where maybe you can support people who decide to do this, you know, is, you know, if they come up with a SWOT analysis and they want to take action, then, you know, you and your department are the guys that, you know, can help people. Okay. I don't know how to do this, but then they I can think, come to you. I for think ideas. that's a really good bit of advice. Because I think typically what happens in organizations is, that there's those victim behaviors isn't there in terms of i, I want to be better but I, i'll just wait yes. to see what's available to me rather than actually i'm going to take responsibility yes. for this i'll take the small step i'll start to engage with people who can help and i think that's a really key message that i think is worth highlighting there is be the be the person to take the first step don't don't sit and wait and you and as you're perfectly illustrating is and you know and i'm finding it in my work we can do most of our work helping people on their development virtually. In fact, I haven't actually found anything I can't do virtually yet helping people. So it isn't, it's no, you know, we can do most things yeah. to help people's personal development. Okay. Um, third one is, are you surrounding yourself by the right people? Do that exercise, you know, take, I don't know, take a month or so or, or two weeks if you want to, whatever prime. And who are you surrounding yourself by? And are they building you up? Are they just sort of a bit neutral or are they pulling you down and what do you need to tweak any of that um just to see if there's any action that comes out of that and then finally especially in the current environment more on the well-being piece this is is if you are having one of those tough days which we're all having i mean i, I can occasionally get zoomed out with the amount of online stuff we're doing at the moment is just have a list of five things that make you feel better. If you're having one of those days where maybe you've fallen into victim mode or, or something, or you're just not feeling it, um, just think of five things you can do to help, which might mean for me, it's you know maybe go for a run or a walk outside or ring one of my Rays of Sunshine people or listen to a, an inspiring podcast or something like that, or whatever are your things. What are the things that 
will make you feel better. So that's Brilliant. the other thing. My some great things. pieces of advice there. And again, just pondering some of the words you're saying, and I think they are really impactful tips. And, and my hope is that people listening to this will really start to do something with it. So that kind of slowly brings us towards the end of our podcast, Sandra. And I'd love to be able to talk to you for hours and hours and hours. And I think we probably could go on and cover all kinds <laughs> of things. Um, but as a kind of a summary, really, just to recap on what we've talked about, we've talked about kind of three key elements here. We've spoken about the importance of accountability and taking responsibility for, you know, if you want to be a high performer, you've got to own it. And then I think we've, we've spoken about the importance or the benefit, should I say, of role modeling knowing the type of person you want to be and really um, really acting and pretending to be that person. And I think that's really crucial. That's really resonated with me. And then finally, surround yourself with the right people, um, those rays of sunshine, you know. Um, I don't think we can eliminate those dark clouds. I think it's unrealistic. Um, sometimes there are people we're related to. Um, but I think your tolerance Absolutely, to those people yeah. can be uh, strengthened by making sure that you've got those rays of sunshine. And, and I really love that. And the top tips you've just shared have been great. And the, the thing I like about this and the thing I love about our area of work, Sandra, is the fact that we can give people this information. We can let people take it and run with it. And for me, that, that's building a bit of a legacy that both you and I and other people in our profession are leaving behind them. And I love that idea. I love that idea of the legacy. Mm. And Yeah, I love it as well. That's why the books came in. You see, the reason I never intended to write any books but the actual when it when the thought started to grow, it was for that exact reason I wanted to put them into two books, the, the area of work that we do. And that's a that's a great reason to do it. And I think it's a really empowering reason. And um it's kind of prompted me to ask a bit of a, a surprise question, if you like, to you, right at the end of this podcast. To to finish this off nicely. And uh, I'm putting you on a bit of a spot here with it. But what I what I'd love okay. to know on the on the theory of legacy, um is what one piece of advice would you give a young Sandra Weber, you know, a short while ago when you were in your in, in your teens, <laughs> before polite, you embarked on your ago. career? What would you say to a young Sandra Weber? Okay. Uh, gosh, right, okay. Um, that is going back a long time. I think it would be... Build yourself a powerful, diverse network of people. And it doesn't have to be big here. I'm not talking about hundreds of people. I'm talking probably about 20, 30 people. Um, a strategic network a lot earlier in your career. And the reason I say that is... Um, when I left corporate life, I was well known within the company after doing 17 years there, but I hadn't got a diverse network that I needed and I would have benefited from in corporate life. So just make sure you're connected widely to those high performers across multiple industries and multiple um, roles. What a great piece of advice to finish on. Sandra, it's been really insightful as I thought it would be. Um, it's been a bit of a hoot. Thank you so much for spending time with us, giving <laughs> well us that really valuable insight. And um, I wish you all the best with your endeavours with your own organisation. And I know um, that you have your second book due to come out um, in the not too near distant future. Yeah, that was my lockdown. That, that was my lockdown project. I had to get it. Taking accountability. Project, so I good. like it. Sandra, thank you ever so much. Yeah.
thank you. Cheers. All right. Bye. Been enjoyable. Thanks, Neil. Cheers. Thanks for joining me for another B Talk episode. I hope, like me, you've taken some great things away from that conversation. If you'd like to read more about Sandra, then why not connect with her via LinkedIn or head over to her website, sandrawebercoaching.com. Sandra's book, Own It, is available now on Amazon if you want to read more about some top tips and also conduct some exercises around how you can establish your direction of travel and what it is you need to do. Later on this year, she'll be releasing a second book, The Evergreen Executive, which is bound to be full of even more great insight to really help you on your journey. Thanks for joining me. And until the next episode, keep well and stay safe.